Let's pray together. Lord, we pray that you will move in all of our lives. That today might be a day of new commitment for those who don't know you and a day of deeper commitment for those of us who do. We pray, oh God, that you would move, that you would send your Holy Spirit. And we know that each time we read your word, you do indeed move. You speak to us. And Lord, I'd be honored today if you would choose to speak through me. I pray that where I'm tempted to get in the way, that you'd move me out of the way so that folks would hear your holy word and your holy word only. Lord, speak to them. Guide each one. Speak to me uh, that we might be changed people as we gather around your word again this day. We ask this in Christ's holy name. Amen. We began in the Gospel of John last week, and, and Bucky shared the first uh, uh, 18 verses. I'm going to back up and uh, share verses 6 uh, to 13 uh, again, and then we'll begin to and some additional introductory material, and then we'll uh, move ahead next week. John 6, uh, John 1, uh, verse 6 uh, through 13. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, and he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Thanks be to God for his holy word. Amen. Well, Bucky reminded us last week that John is unique uh, in its evangelistic qualities. Remember, Bucky's told a story about an evangelist who gave a Bible to a man, despite that man saying that he was going to rip the pages out of the Bible and he was going to roll it into cigarettes. And you may recall that, that Bucky shared that years later, the evangelist encountered this man and he told of smoking his way through Matthew, uh, burning his way through Mark, uh, just lighting up Luke. But then he came to John. And when he got to John, the gospel so gripped him that he began to read it. And he gave his life to Christ. John is indeed unique in its evangelistic qualities. Uh, we often turn to it when we're leading someone to Christ. We often tell a new believer that John's a great place for he or she to begin their Bible reading. But the Gospel of John is unique in many ways. The first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are known as the synoptics. And synoptic uh, it comes from a Greek word which means to see together, to see together. And though each one has its distinctive emphases, and its distinct themes, the synoptics can be seen together. They have a lot in common. 
they follow the same general outline of Christ's life. They're similar in content and structure. But even a casual reading of John will reveal that John is unique. While all four Gospels contain narratives and discourse, story and conversations, John's Gospel contains a much larger proportion of discourse, of speaking, of conversations. Which is why we often send new believers to John, because in John's gospel, they're going to get a lot of Jesus' teaching. In John, we're going to see some unique uh, and just some great material, like uh, the wedding in Cana in John 2. We're going to see the conversation with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And in John chapter 4, we're going to see Jesus' encounter uh, with the Samaritan woman. Uh, in John 5 and 6, we're going to see uh, Jesus teaching about the bread of life and living water. Uh, in John chapter 10, we're going to, to hear about him being the good shepherd. In John 11, the raising of Lazarus. Uh, in John 13 to 16, we're going to see uh, and hear his farewell discourse or his upper room discourse, his final teaching to the disciples where uh, he uh, gives a new commandment and where he gives some of the great I am statements, and he teaches us about the Holy Spirit. We're going to get that great priestly prayer, as we call it, in John chapter 17, the longest prayer of Jesus that we have recorded. All this material is quite unique to John. But let me say at the outset that those differences between John and the synoptics have long caused liberal scholars to make them out as contradictions. Let me teach you a Greek word, hogwash, hogwash. Seriously, the Greek word is un me genoito, may it never happen, absolutely not, Lord forbid. John does not contradict the synoptics and the synoptics do not contradict John. Further, the differences are often exaggerated by these scholars. All four Gospels teach that Jesus is the Son of God and that He's God in human flesh. All four Gospels teach that Jesus is the Savior of the world who came to save His people, who died upon a cross and His sacrificial death and resurrection saves those who will believe. The various Gospels do not contradict one another. Rather, they complement one another and they supplement one another. As D.A. Carson wrote, they mutually reinforce or explain one another. For example, it's often pointed out that John does not have a birth narrative like Matthew and Luke. Well, that's easily explained. John wrote decades after Matthew and Luke. Matthew and Luke had already given great birth stories, so why did John need to repeat that birth story? Instead, the opening of John's gospel states, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John intentionally chose to tell how the one born in Bethlehem eternally preexisted before he came to the world in a human family. Make no mistake, we have four Gospels with different emphases, but four Gospels that complement and supplement one another because God wanted us to have four Gospels that complement 
and supplement one another. And let me just share a little more introductory material. Uh, authorship. Scholars also sometimes argue whether the Apostle John wrote the gospel. Well, according to the testimony of the early church, the Apostle John was the gospel writer. And no manuscript has ever been found that declares anyone but John the gospel author. That's good enough for me. I don't know about for you, but that's good enough for me. The date, as I said earlier, John was written after the synoptics. It favors a date somewhere around 80 to 90 A.D. But regardless of the date, the early church fathers again affirmed that John was the last gospel written. Finally, we don't have to guess about the purpose of John's gospel. As Bucky shared last week, the gospel itself tells us the purpose. John 20, verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The Gospel of John was written specifically with the purpose that we might declare that Christ is Lord and Savior. So let's turn to our text that we looked at this morning. I want to read it again. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. And he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. John, and here we're talking about John the Baptist, came to testify about the light which was coming. And this light is Jesus. And this true light is available, verse 9, to all everyone who will believe but everyone then and now did not react the same way to jesus this true light listen to verses 10 to 13 again he was in the world and the world was made through him what does it say yet the world didn't know him next verse he came to his own but his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. You see, some rejected Jesus, some received Jesus. And we see varying degrees of reactions to Jesus throughout all the Gospels. Some were superficially drawn to Jesus. John 7 verse 12 says that, that some were saying Jesus was a good man. But you'll note there that others were saying he led the people astray. Some, like in Matthew 21 11, acknowledged that Jesus was a prophet. 
Because of the miraculous meal, the crowd in John 6, 15 wanted to make him king. They wanted to force him to be king. And they want him to overthrow the Romans. But such superficial reactions were fleeting because these same crowds one day shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And a few days later, these same crowds shouted, crucify him, crucify him. Others were strongly attracted to Jesus, but, but they were unwilling to fully commit to him. John 12, 42 tells us that many, even of the authorities, believed in Jesus, but they wouldn't confess it publicly because they were afraid of the Pharisees. Perhaps most well-known is the rich man in Mark 10 who, who had kept all the commandments. And Jesus said to him, there's one more thing you need to do. You need to sell all your possessions and give them to the poor, and then you need to come follow me. But the text says that he left because he was distraught because he had many possessions. Others were openly hostile to Jesus. Yeah, I've already pointed out that in John 7, 12, some were saying, hey, he's leading the people astray. At Jesus' trial, the Jewish council was openly hostile towards Jesus. In Luke 23, verse 2, for example, they say, we found this man misleading our nation. He was forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar. He's saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Some even thought Jesus was a madman, that he was demon-possessed. John 10, verse 20, many of them said he has a demon. He's insane. Why are we listening to him? Even his own family in Mark 3, verse 21, went out to seize him. And they were saying he's out of his mind. And here's the thing, every reaction to Jesus then continues to be a reaction to Jesus now. There are still those who outright reject Jesus. There are still those who believe Jesus was, was some sort of madman. I assume that's not us because we're here. But the other two reactions are often found even in Christ's church we too can be superficially drawn to Jesus. We too can lack commitment. And I believe John MacArthur is correct when he writes the common theme linking all these inadequate responses is unbelief. It's a lack of complete trust in Jesus. And that, folks, is a serious and condemning mistake. John 3.18, whoever believes in him and Jesus is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. There is a marvelous little word in our text this morning, and it's the word but. Verse 12, but. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's what we celebrate today. In a few moments, we will baptize and welcome additional children of God. 
And it's always been the same that some will reject Jesus. Some will be hostile to Jesus. Some will superficially come to him and and they'll never really commit their lives to him. But, but some will receive Jesus. And the Greek word receive is lambano. And it means to take hold of. It means to firmly grasp. It means to obtain. Receiving Christ is not superficial. It's not just intellectual acknowledgement that Jesus is the Savior. It's life-changing. It's life-changing. It's taking hold of Jesus and accepting Jesus and all that the Scriptures say about Jesus, even the parts we aren't fans of. Because you know what? Jesus isn't looking for fans anyway. He's looking for followers. He's looking for followers. Some of you are perhaps currently dating someone others of you would maybe like to be dating someone and i hope those of us who are married can still remember dating our spouse in fact you ought to be dating them now but that's another sermon for another day but in any dating relationship that lasts a little while there comes a point in time that you have to have the DTR talk. The DTR talk. Define the relationship. Define the relationship. Some of us may need to have the DTR talk with Jesus right now. I read Kyle Eidelman's book, Not a Fan, Uh, a little over 10 years ago now, but I continue to appreciate that book. And he reminds us that Jesus may very well be looking at some of us this morning and saying, it's time. It's time to define the relationship. Is your relationship with me exclusive? Asked Jesus. Or is it just a casual weekend thing what exactly is your level of commitment are are you just a fan just an enthusiastic admirer or are you a follower have you have you merely made an intellectual decision or have you committed your life to christ And I'm not asking the question, do you go to church? Are your parents or grandparents Christians? Did you raise your hand one time at the end of a sermon somewhere? Or did you walk the aisle somewhere and repeat a prayer? All of those and many other factors are important. And all of those may be the ways that God was calling you to come to Him. But I'm asking... And I believe that Jesus is asking, are you a follower? Are you an admiring fan or dedicated follower? If you haven't, 
If you haven't already, I believe this morning is the time to define the relationship. Are you a fan or are you a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? Let's pray together. Lord, maybe there's someone here who's never even considered a relationship with you. And we pray that today would, they would receive you and become a child of God. Perhaps there are others who grew up in the church and they've always intellectually believed in you, but they've never really committed to you. Again, we pray that today they would receive you and become one of your children. Maybe others can recall a time when somewhere back in the day they, they walked an aisle and they raised their hand and they repeated a sinner's prayer. But still they know they're not very committed to you. We pray that today might be their day of becoming a committed child of God. So Lord, where we sit and whatever's going on in our personal lives, we would pray together this prayer. And I pray, Lord, that we don't just repeat it, but that we're very sincere and you're changing our lives. Lord, we pray that, that we repent of our sins. We bring our sins before you. We know that we're broken and hopeless apart from you. That we're all sinners in need of grace. And so we receive Christ as our Lord and Savior. We seek to to grasp Him, to take hold of Him, and to follow Him. We pray, Lord, that from this day forward, that we might commit our lives unto You, O Lord. We don't want to just be fans. We don't want to be merely enthusiastic admirers. We've come to be dedicated followers dedicated children of God. By the power of the Holy Spirit, may this be true in all of our lives, Lord. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you today and forevermore. Amen.